0: The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to this week's 442
1: Insider podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson and joining me as always is uh, editor Trevor Trahan. Trev, Hello. Hello. How you
2: doing?
1: Alright mate, we are going to kick off with the biggest game in club football. Uh, oh. Played at Wembley Stadium. Swansea 4, <laughs> Reddington. two. <laughs> We're going to start with the Champions League final, uh, Saturday night or Sunday morning our time, early hours of. Joe, where do we start? A masterful performance from Barcelona, who,
2: you know, let's be honest, made Man United look ordinary. I mean, they hammered the best side in England by nine points in in, in what is the best league in the world. Um, and I've I've watched Barcelona a few times this season play against the sort of lesser La Liga teams and and hammer them and me think oh La Liga's rubbish and it? it's got no no depth etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's what Man U looked like in a final in their own country um, yeah like say you know where where do you start praising how good it was even at half time you know when it was one all Barcelona were thrashing Man U one all you know they, they they were hammering them well, I
1: mean United started off quite brightly about um, first 9 yeah, minutes yeah first first 9 or 10 minutes but then you know and then sort of uh Barcelona sort of seemed to adjust slightly tactically with Xavi dropping a little bit deeper. Um, I mean, his stats were just phenomenal. You Stupid. Know? I mean, it was ninety-five percent um, completion rate, hundred odd passes. Obviously, had the assist for the first goal, which was a sublime through ball.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, what do we say about Messi? I mean, where <laughs> where do we start?
2: Um. Yeah, well, where do you start? I mean, you start with the fact he's only 23, and what's that, his third Champions League? Um, You easily go on and have six or seven Champions League medals. Um, Sparks up the discussion again about if if he's going to go on. I don't think you can say he's the greatest player ever, but if he's going to go on to be the greatest player ever. um, I think it's hard to see, bar a hideous injury which affects him deeply, um, I can't see anyone stopping him from taking that tag, and I, and I don't think he needs to win the World Cup to get that tag either. I don't think he needs to do what Maradona did in '86. I think that if he plays like that in club football for the next seven, eight years, then he's got that title.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at someone like Ryan Giggs. He's never played in a World Cup. Yeah. You know, George Best never played in a World exactly. Cup. Exactly. You know, so you don't have to, you don't have to win the World Cup to be a, a legend or, or one of the best players ever. No. Um, I mean, okay. Let, let's sort of from from United's perspective. You know, you, I think you knew that for them to have a chance, they had every player had to probably have the game of their season.
2: Need a lot of luck. They didn't as well. do
1: that. I thought there were a few players that, that were disappointing. I thought Hernandez, Hernandez <laughs> had probably. I I just I felt like for the first time he was overawed by the occasion. Um, um, I read because we talked about the fact that you know there was a reshuffle in the Barcelona defence. Obviously, there was no Puyol. Mascherano was playing out of position in the back four, and you sort of thought that maybe there was an opportunity for United there. But I think Valencia as well had a really quiet game, and he'd had a, he'd had a standout second half of the season when he returned from that that bad injury. But I thought he was quiet. I thought Rooney had a good game. Yeah. You know, and and by and large, I thought United's back four did pretty well. Mm. Um, but it just uh, unstoppable force, really.
2: There were some outrageous passing statistics, like you were touching on a minute ago. I thought that Victor Valdez completed more passes than Hernandez. Um, I think eighteen to Hernandez sixteen, and and even Carrick, who's playing in that role, which is kind of what what you associate with the Barcelona midfielders. I can't. I, th- I think it was about twenty nine completed passes or something. Well, I think. I think
1: the other stat that I liked was was the most often completed passing combination for. Barcelona, not surprisingly, I think was Hernandez to was Chavi to Messi, yeah, and Man Uniteds was Ferdinand to Van der Sar, which sort of summed it up. Um, I mean, I mean, where do you start with Barcelona? I mean, how how do you counter that? You know, I mean, it, there's a lot been, been a lot of debate since. Yeah, you know, is this the greatest club side we've ever seen? I, I always think that's a difficult argument to make because the game has changed so dramatically, the laws have changed, refereeing has changed, equipment has changed, balls have changed, you know, but I heard something, a few people have said, and I I, I tend to agree with this, is that, you know, truly great teams change the way football is played. Mm. You know, and I think we are seeing that, you know, and personally, as someone that coaches under 10s at the moment, I'm loving the fact that Barcelona are getting all of this press and, you know, because it is educating people, it's educating parents that, you know, it's not about getting the biggest kid in the team, no. getting the ball and hoofing it forward. You know, it's about being good on the ball. It's about short passing. And it, and it certainly it makes our lives easier as sort of grassroots coaches to, mm. to coach that way of playing. Whereas before, you'd sort of go and watch the kids play and it's like, you know, get rid of it. Or what yeah. are you doing? That? Don't, don't play around with it back there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think what's interesting about this Barcelona team is that they, they don't have to worry about pandering to who their opposition are. You know, Mourinho is incredible at just changing things around you know, for who the opponents are, and that's why he's so great. But this Barca team knows that they can show up, and on their day, are absolutely unplayable. I mean, if I was Alex Ferguson, I, there'd be no being annoyed at myself, because I don't think there was anything he could have done to yeah. stop that result going that way.
1: And I must say again, you know, let's compare it with with Mourinho and the and the semi final. What was really refreshing about this was, you know, it was the whole build up was very respectful between the hmm. two camps. You know, the game was played in the right spirit. Man United, you know, tried to play. Ferguson kept making positive substitutions. Yeah, you know, it, it, it wasn't an ill-tempered game. After the final whistle to see the Barcelona players applaud Man United. Guard crew, of Honour. Guard of Honour. Yeah. You know, I just thought it was, it was, it was a fantastic, you know, real great advert, particularly against the backdrop of everything that's going on in Zurich at the moment, yeah. for the reason why so many people love this game. Yeah, exactly.
2: And I've read some interesting stuff heading into the game about you know Guardiola and Ferguson. They clearly have a great amount of respect for each other. Um, but when you hear some of the comments about Guardiola and, and how different he looks now, hair-wise and greyness of the hair left um, from a few years at Barca. Apparently, he's, he's really under the pump managing that club, and it's really stressing him out. It, it makes you think, there's never going to be another Furky, is there? No. There's I never, ever going to be... I do at that
1: level for
2: 25 years, so no. like he's done. You know, but...
1: With well, his already... relationship with... Because like, didn't it come out in the build-up that he actually tried to sign Guardiola at some point, like right, okay. 15, 16 years ago from Barcelona, and, and, and didn't manage it. But... Um, but I think as well you know, it just shows that even when you're conquering all that goes before you're playing in a manner that is receiving worldwide acclaim it is still a hugely pressurised position.
0: Yeah. yeah. Which
1: then makes the players that go out on that biggest stage of all and play that game against the best side in England mm. and don't compromise the way they play, keep playing the way they play and pass the best team in England off the park is just phenomenal. Mm. I was listening to the BBC, there was a really interesting interview and Steve McLaren was on there and he was talking about Giannino and when Giannino first went to, to Middlesbrough under him and he was saying that in training and during the games, for the first month he was getting really pissed off with his fellow players because they wouldn't give him the ball in tight areas because it was just not the way no, we no, used to do it. In and trouble, you in trouble. Janino would keep coming from midfield, like with, with one or two men around him and demanding the ball, and they weren't giving it to him. And in the end, he's like, Why aren't you giving me the ball? They're like, Well, you've got men on you, we don't give you that, we'll, we'll put it over the top. He's like, That's exactly where I want the ball. He <laughs> yeah. said, so When I've got someone close to me that I know that if I beat them, they're out of the game, mm. and I want them clo- I want the ball close to me, I want the players close to me. And you just see that with the way Barcelona—they're just not scared about getting the ball in any position on the pitch with no. two or three men, because they've just—Messi, especially, has just got ultimate confidence in his own ability, and yeah. the players around him have got confidence to give him the ball in those tight areas.
2: Yeah. Um, out of the goals, talking about Belting goals as well. I mean, um, you know, Rooney's wasn't a cracking finish, but you know, Messi seemed to come out of nowhere. You know, sort of jinxing around, wouldn't he, and then got it under Van sar but my favourite was the last one the video yeah, like, yeah. like standing start you know and just very um, little back lift yeah. just curled it just curled it around I mean, I saw one of the best keepers in the world full stretch and just bent it around his hand it's unbelievable
1: but also I think uh, I thought the first one you know when, you had, when I saw it the first time I thought he must have got a bit of a deflection because Pedro because Van oh, yeah, yeah. went the wrong way yeah. He sort of went to his right and the ball went past his feet and into, and I thought it, maybe it was one of those where it, the defenders come in and got a touch. But when you actually look at it, it was actually a really, really clever finish from Pedro. Yeah. Because his shape as he was approaching the ball and his body shape was as if he was going to hit it hard and low across Van der Zar. Yeah. That's what Which Van der Zar read. Do, yeah. And then at the last minute he just shaped his foot and literally just passed it into the into the goal. It was a phenomenal finish. But also, I mean, let's say, you know, Man United's goal, great goal from Rooney. Yeah. Very difficult, you know, skill to... And, and it, bizarrely, that was the only shot they had in the whole game.
2: On target, yeah.
1: I think it was their, was uh, it their uh, only uh, shot. I think, oh, they, they had end. one attempt, two attempts off target.
2: And, and one on, yeah. No
1: corners. <laughs> 32% possession.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's it's a mauling, isn't it? I mean, 3-1 th- flatters them, really. Yeah. And, and we were talking last week, and, and we certainly weren't talking that it was it was going to be like that, I thought, I thought it'd be, it would be closer and it might even go to extra time penalties, but even at half-time, you just felt that, you know, Barcelona going to come out and steamroll. Yeah.
1: All right, so I mean, where does this leave the two sides? Obviously, Man United, you know, they're still champions of England, you know, they, they lost in the semi-final of the FA Cup, I mean, it's not, it's not the end of the world for them, but, obviously, since the uh, the final, Paul Scholes has retired... Um, this week uh, we've been a fantastic servant at the club I think it's 16, 17 years I, I watched I've, I've actually put on our Facebook page someone had done a little uh 8 minute tribute and you forget just like when he broke through what a goal scoring free scoring attacking midfield strokes or mm. a second striker he was. You mm-hmm. know.
2: Did you see some of the comments from the Barca players after the game? Yeah. About five of them were scrambling to yeah, try and get yeah. his shade. He's a bit of a hero in the the Barcelona Youth Academy, isn't Well, he? we
1: did that interview with Iniesta. Yeah. He was... Uh, he, he singled out Scholes as the player that he watched in the Premier League when he was sort of uh, coming to the fore. Um, so where did Man United go for me? Obviously, Van has gone. Scholes has gone. Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, Giggs might have another year. Yeah, but- Giggs, maybe
1: one more year... Carrick has probably shown that he's good Premier League player, but not really at that, hmm. you know, sort of world class level. So you'd probably say they're they're, they're looking for a keeper, definitely. Um, David de Gea is on again, off again. Man United seem to think they've signed him. The player himself isn't so sure. Yeah, uh, they need a central midfielder. You'd say, wouldn't
2: you? Yeah, almost. Said, um they need the you know type player uh, a sort of creative person my understanding from the man u youth team is the best since that was it 96 the the beckham yeah, yeah. you know Scully, all that lot came through um i reckon the few of them will get a chance that the, they reckon there's three or four in there that will come through and start playing first-team football next season. So I think they'll, they'll lean on that a little bit. Um, I think they might spend a little bit more money this summer than they did the previous. Yeah. That's no, another impression I've got. Well, for the
1: midfield, there's talk of Schneider um, and, and also Modric, who mm. Ferguson's uh, you know, publicly gone on the record saying he admires him as a player. and You'd certainly say Modric could fill that skulls sort of role Um, whether they can prize him away from Spurs I had a $20 bet this morning (laughs) that Modric won't be at Spurs next season Uh, and the other one that obviously is a rumour is Ashley Young from Villa uh, from Man United which obviously can play on either wing or in the hole um, all right, and Barcelona, I mean, you know, mm. it's not so much you know where they go from here, it's just can they continue to dominate at yeah. the level that they've been at for the last three years,
2: you'd say. Well, I think they'll probably go and sign the best midfielder in England, in Fabregas. <laughs> you it, it, well, yeah, I think it It still seems very, very, you know, likely. It, it's no, no surprise if he goes, is it? It's a bit like the Ronaldo when he, you know, prolonged move to Madrid, but it was always going to happen. So, yeah, I, I can see him going... Um, strengthening up that sloppy midfielder theirs a, a <laughs> That's little a bit. scary thought. But, isn't? I mean, what I was saying, we talk. how often do you see with Barcelona, you go, oh, you know, so-and-so's missing and, you know, Paul's got to play at left-back. And they're just as solid at the back. Like, you know, they, they seem to be able to hold back. It's difficult to know who they'd sign. I, I wouldn't try and improve on Villa. I, I think he's the best yeah. finisher in the world. Um, and he's got those players around him. I don't know. There's not... There's there's nothing really that you need to add to the team. And it's almost like you know, even though he
1: scored goals and obviously he got on that was his first goal for quite some time. Yeah, and, you know, and he, he's all, yeah. You know, this has almost been via settling in season. Yeah, and they've won everything. Yeah, you he know? got
2: he got about he, he could
1: he could go on and score forty goals himself next year. Yeah, and they could they could get even better.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, I can, I can see them get better. I think he got about eighteen in the league. Yeah, but he regular I and mean, that's what he gets every season. But that's another twenty goal, you know, guaranteed each season from a player like that.
1: And also, uh, yeah, as be said, like again, the, the spirit amongst that team. Two beautiful touches towards the end of that game, and at the end of the game, was one, was Hernandez Chavi uh, giving Puyol the captain's armband when he came on,
2: yeah,
1: uh, with like a couple of minutes to go, and then Puyol stepping aside to let Abidal lift the trophy. The trophy, yeah. It's just they've got, got a unit, haven't they? Yeah. There's there's not a lot not to like about Barcelona Isn't at it? the moment. Alright, well that's it. I mean that that ends the, uh, ended the, the European club season, all bar the, uh, the playoffs to get into the Premier League, which we will talk about after the break.
0: The July issue of 442 Magazine is on sale now. This month, you get to choose your cover between the Matildas or the 20 rising stars of world football, including interviews with Jack Wilshere and Neymar, plus a profile on the madness of Mario Balotelli. Elsewhere, we name the top five Aussie team sensations with Kerem Bullitt and Matt Ryan interviews. We're in Berlin with Nikita Rukovica, plus the 30 maddest refereeing moments. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider.
1: Hello welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to talk about a couple of games that happened in the last few days. Uh, Let's start, Trev, back at Wembley uh, on Tuesday morning, our time, Monday, 48 hours after the uh, Champions League final was uh, what's referred to as probably the second biggest game in European club football. Uh, certainly, in terms of a revenue perspective, it keeps going up every year. It, yeah, it's worth sixty more, million more now.
2: Each year. <laughs>
1: um, but it saw Swansea prevail over Reading. It was uh, it was a cracking match, wasn't it? It was but, a real see, you know, uh, seesaw battle. Swansea three 0 up at half time. Uh, Reading clawed themselves back into it with two early goals, and then uh, Swansea rallied and uh, and got a fourth. Two penalties. Uh, Scott Sinclair got a hat trick. Um, what did you make of it? We watched it in the, in the office, didn't we, in the morning?
2: It's exactly. a classic playoff final. Often very, very, you know, high-scoring. Um, really good seeing the different crowd reactions. Reading, Reading, were on top to begin with. Swansea sort of, the penny sort of changed the game. Um, should have been a sending off as well, though, didn't they? From, from <laughs> he didn't have the best of games. The, uh, was what's there? his
1: name? Kishanashvili. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't have the best of games. He sure. gave away, a, gave away a penalty, got booked. Awful clearance for the third goal, just sort of side footed it back on, onto his own penalty spot.
2: Um, yeah, th- so there were three up, and the Swansea fans have celebrating like that are. Reading fans, you know, in the blue wig and the blue face looking like glum. All of a sudden, two goals, and you switch those emotions around. Swansea looked panicked, you know, crowd wise anyway. And the Reading were celebrating like they'd been promoted, even though they were, they were losing. Um, really impressive, both teams, though and the standard I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying that in a patronising way either you know I'll be watching more championship football next season but it's got to be said though, those two teams were deserving of, of making it that far anyway well, it,
1: was, it was obviously uh, Brendan Rodgers the Swansea coach was sacked by Reading after uh, just 23 games in charge back in December 2009 um, has now obviously uh, got promotion to the Premier League at their expense um, He's been getting a lot of plaudits for the way that he's played football and there there were obvious comparisons between the game 48 hours before, obviously at a slightly lower level, Um, but certainly Swansea play football in the right manner, they play a 4-3-3 consistently, they pass the ball, Um, do we think that that will be enough for them in the Premier League?
2: Uh, I, I don't know whoever comes up for the plows are always forever to sink back down I think they'll stick to that style anyway so even if they go down it'll be like when Blackpool went down or when West Brom went down a few years ago under Mowbray um, they'll stick to their style and how they've got used to playing and they'll, they'll give it a good go they'll upset a couple of teams I reckon Yeah. Um be yeah, interesting to see you
1: know, who the, do they go out and you know try and sort of buy their way and, and, and stay in the league or do they do what Blackpool did and be and, and disciplined financially and, and look at it okay well if we stay up it's a bonus but we're not expecting to we've seen West Brom do that successfully Have a couple of seasons up to the Premier League and back they've secured their status now uh, without breaking the bank or without risking it and we've seen other teams like Hull that have sort of overstretched themselves financially and, and have paid the price. I mean, well, I mean, it was an interesting. Uh, I was listening to an interview. With Brendan Rodgers he said that it was eight years ago when Hull played Swansea to stay in the football league in the in the bottom tier, uh, and it was a do or die game. And, and bizarrely, they won four two that day, and someone got a hat trick with two penalties. He said. <laughs>
0: Right,
2: um, that is strange.
1: But, you know, in eight years, to have seen both of those sides, you know, we talk about the, oh, the romance of football's gone, but in the eight years since that game, both of those sides have been from the bottom tier of English football back up to the, to the Premier
0: League.
1: Mm. Um, so, you now we're going to see, it's going to be like the 80s revisited, you know, yeah. with Norwich, QPR and Swansea all back in the top flight.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, talk about the, the romance of football... Slight um, digression here. but
1: We're going to get on to FIFA later.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I saw about in the FA Cup final, reading a, a certain Australian media outlet's tweets about the FA Cup, saying that the FA Cup needs a good final. You know, Stokes, you know, this, they don't need... What do you mean need? Like, it's still going to sell out. It's still going to be watched by millions of people around. It's, it, it's not going to go bust if it's not a good final. So I, I think people talk more about the romance going than it actually going.
1: Yeah, the Nicholas over. Leo's Cup. As it will be. So. <laughs>
2: um, all right. The other game that happened
1: last night or yesterday afternoon, and and also credit to Fox Sports for uh, for showing this. It was on live. Um, I didn't manage to get to watch it live. Some of us have to work, but um, I was uh, I watched it last night on. Uh, I queued it. Um, it was a good game. Uh, Oli Ruse uh, played some sparkling football.
2: First half was excellent.
1: Yeah, I mean the. The counter attacking for the first goal was spectacular. Um, and, you know, really good to see passing, fluid football led by uh, Oliver Bazanic Buz- um, from the Mariners, uh, who skipped the side. But in the end, uh, Japan sort of ran out, you'd say, comfortable winners. So they hit the post a couple of times and, uh, and two second half goals. They got an equaliser right on half time, which sort of knocked the stuffing a little bit out of the Oliroos, I think. And, and they seem to, which is not surprising, given the fact that very few of them have played much football in the last month. They seem to uh, to run out of steam a little bit in the last sort of fifteen minutes. But there was a lot to like about the way that they played.
2: Hmm. Um, Mitch was...
1: Nichols especially had a, had a had a very good game.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good exhibition of football because it was good to see um, not only the Ollaries playing a good style, but that Japanese technique that they they seem to have mastered, haven't they? Yeah. All the way through their youth levels. Um, was good to see in itself. So, you know, two youth sides that you're going to hope would produce good, technically strong players for the World Cups. you know, in future years.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the challenge is the now to... It seems like, and having watched the, you know, the under-17s and the under-20s and now the under-23s, that we are starting to develop that style of football and and the 4-3-3, and, you know, which is great. Now we need to combine that, which great sides do you know because let's not forget that the objective of playing football is to win matches you know and it's you know and if we're going to emulate the top nations and and Spain and Barcelona then you have to play in that manner but then also still win games you know mm. it's so uh, yeah, but, but there's a lot to uh, you'd say looking on yesterday's performance that um, that you know Yemen should be a foregone conclusion which would then put us into the group stages uh, for a place in London
2: um. Yeah, Mitch Nichols is, is worth having a chat about as well. He, he, like a lot of young players, can be relatively inconsistent. I've seen him have absolute crackers for Brisbane and, and have that sort of Cahill ability to arrive late in the box and score and be able to do all the sort of you know, short passing game that you need as well. And I've seen him have some really, really ordinary games as well. So he's at that crossroad that a lot of young players are at that if, if he can sort of get that consistency up, then there's no reason why you know another season in the A League is assured, isn't it? You wouldn't. Yeah. and, the, and let's, you know, let's
1: also be fair. The Olly Roos are missing a few, of probably their key players, who yeah. are either still playing uh, in the Asian leagues, like the likes of Luke Devere, but also people like Matthew Lecky, who who was excuses concentrating on sort of regaining sort of full fitness at, at Munch and Gladbach. So yeah. you know there were, th- this wasn't by any stretch a full full strength side. So uh, there's still improvements to be made, but certainly the. The football that they were playing, uh, and not just trying to play, were playing. It uh, was really encouraging. Um, and obviously, as we've talked about, both for Asian Champions League but also national team level, you know, Japan is the the yardstick for us and the benchmark for us in Asia. You know, Definitely, and if, and if yeah. we are competing with Japan, then we're not going to be far off, you know, uh, qualifying for every major tournament because they will. Japan and South Korea will largely be the two teams that that get in our way.
2: Yep. Um, I mean Videmar as well. I suppose it's you know, interesting to observe. It's clear how he wants a team to play, and um, I think this fixture would have given him plenty to think about in terms of you know selection and how they're going to go forward. So
1: I'm yeah, and Cernak as well. I thought had a had a really good game. Played a sort of wide on the right. I, he, uh, I think was, you know, at this level, at the under twenty two, twenty three level, you know, he looks physically quite imposing. Yeah. I think mean, he doesn't look so much in the A League, but I think that's obviously to his benefit. But when I went down for the for the Gamba Osaka game, I thought he had a good game for Melbourne victory, and that sort of experience that he's now bringing in to to a sort of age capped uh, structure is definitely standing him in good stead. So I think he will become a key player in this uh, this run to the Olympics. Yep. All right, that's it for part two. We'll be back in part three to have a look at some of the local news that's been making headlines on our website, au.442.com.
0: We all have goals, but sometimes we need a little help along the way. The best advice and assistance on your journey can make an enormous difference. Tiger Management and PR represents up-and-coming and and established TV and radio presenters, performers and sports people. So if you're wondering how you'll rise to the next level, engage the services of Tiger Management and PR, and you'll no longer be alone. (laughs) Call one 784 212 to find out more or visit tigermanagement.com.au. Back to 442 Insider.
1: Hello and welcome back to part three of this week's 442 Insider podcast. We are going to turn our attention to Home Shores and Trevlar, the... uh, a-League draw was uh, revealed live on Fox Sports News on Tuesday.
2: People go yeah. wild for these draws. Love, love <laughs> a draw. <laughs> so I'm excited
1: about playing your week well yeah, oh, well at home. playing everyone three way. times. Um, yeah, Lyle Gorman has, has come out and said that he's confident that the sport will take over summer in Australia.
2: Says, says the man in charge of Australia's summer sport.
1: Yeah. Looks like mean, a great Sh- Sheffield Shield's not really much of a competition these days. <laughs> no. but, um But it will uh, it will kick off on Saturday the eighth, which which incidentally is 24 hours after the Socceroos play on October the seventh. So that could be a nice uh, a nice kickstart to the season. Um, He's also said that you know they're working through the final part of the the marketing uh, plan for this year. Um, But he was looking more you know he was expecting the spend level to be nearer to season one levels, which was encouraging.
2: Yep. I mean, uh, let's
1: talk about the, the opening weekend. We've got a grand final rematch. Brisbane Roars, Mariners, Suncorp, like that, Saturday night.
0: Yeah. It'll be
1: very interesting to see how many of the 55,000 or 52,000 that were there for the grand final show up
2: again. Yeah. I th- you know, I think it's certainly going to be a bigger return than they'd normally expect from that fixture. So, yeah, that's, they, they normally like to try and do that, don't they? I mean, it, was, it was Sydney Melbourne, yeah. which is again this season, but yeah. last season it was the grand final rematch at the start. Um, even though I don't think the attendance was that great, at that was it. No, the, the, the no, grand final rematch. So they're obviously going to try again, convinced that you know that, that's what they want. I'm not completely sold on the idea of starting the first game of the season the same as the last game of the previous season. Um, but you know, I guess it was, I, I suppose they're trying to keep momentum.
1: But well, the opening man fixtures are the Jets versus Hearts, uh, uh, Osgrid Stadium as it is known now. Um, victory host Sydney at Etihad. Brisbane Royal host the Mariners at Suncorp. Gold Coast United uh, host Wellington at Skill Park. And Perth Glory host Adelaide at NIB. Now, one of the uh, weeks that was uh, focused upon uh, was the Marathon Wednesday. We need to point the game. What could it be? What goes with Wednesday? Wicked Wednesday? But, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> win at all costs Wednesday. Um, which is when there will be five. It's Wednesday, January the 4th. I mean, and there will be five back-to-back games.
2: I don't... I like it. Why is it good, though? I it's, needed it explained to me. It's hours of football. Yeah, for us. What's we, not to like? Well, some people will be at work. Yeah. Some people will be watching the cricket. Kids
1: will be off school. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, the kids will be off school. No one will take them to the game, but... Uh, it's an excuse to go to the pub For us, it's great. it's great. ...and <laughs> leave at midnight and call it work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We love it. It's like we've arranged that week, but... You I know, think we I, need
1: to have a party. I
2: I'm, think we I'm calling it now.
1: I'm calling party Wednesday the fourth of January. We will find a venue. Yeah. I'm even. I'm going to call it the Leo Sayer. It's the four four two Leo Sayer. The all dayer
2: <laughs> That that reference and would go might, down well with eighteen year old we Australians. might even
1: see if we can get him. Over. He lives over here, doesn't he? I might see
2: if we can get him down. Oh my, that would. Could be, you imagine? That would be the most incredible event. I'm just freestyling it live. He used to live in Brighton. So I catch he lives li- over here now. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a,
1: he's a um, what you call th- it, citizen. I think
2: I saw him at Better Homes and Gardens, actually. There you go. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, look, it's great for, even if we can't do an official thing, we should at least announce a pub that we're going to be at and readers slash listeners. we say we're company. going
1: there, it's official.
2: It's an official <laughs>
1: 442 event. <laughs>
2: yeah. All right, so any sponsors listening, i be sponsoring
1: <laughs> the 442 Leo Sayer. Um, maybe he's got a new album. Maybe he wants, maybe to, he wants to sponsor it. All right, we'll keep you posted. I, I like it. I, you know, I, I think we need to do, you know, whatever it takes to 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 make news, get people interested. I, and I I, certainly, create the talking point. And uh,
2: I suppose it'll get a bit of media. But I mean, other than that, I don't necessarily see the point. I think you're just overexcited about going at the pub, and now you're going to be drinking with Leo saying it's the best week <laughs> ever. You.
1: All right. Well, news overnight saw uh, Marcus Flo- uh, t- saw, Sorry, um, Robbie Fowler confirmed that he won't be returning to Perth Glory. Uh, he cited his family reasons and he wants to complete his coaching badges uh, in the UK. He telephoned Tony Sage personally, um, and certainly Tony Sage's and said that he, he's got no problems with the way that Robbie has conducted himself. He's been, a, you know, he's been very professional throughout. Uh, they're now looking at potentially having him as a guest player against Celtic on July the ninth to, to say a sort of formal farewell to the fans there.
2: Okay.
1: I mean, let's. I mean, let's let's look back on his time here. Um, I sort of get the feeling that it could have been so much more.
0: Mm.
1: You know, two seasons of Robbie Fowler when you know he could still play. I just I don't know, and I and I don't mean this to be disrespectful to, to, the to North Queensland or <laughs> Perth, but I sort of think. Maybe if you would had two seasons at Melbourne or Sydney, and certainly Sydney could have done with a little bit of a star factor over the last two seasons, that, that we might be looking back on Robbie Fowler's stay here with a bit more. Yeah, uh, so. you know, it certainly would have had a bit more of an impact. But um,
2: we saw the statistics, didn't we, after the first season, the, the Fury season, how much bigger attendances were when Fowler was in town. and yeah. um, you know we went to the the Sydney game where he scored that outrageous goal, one one nil, surrounded by Liverpool fans. Um, yeah, it, it feels like it, it was good. It's positive that he came over, but at the same time, almost a, a little bit of a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah. Okay, uh, Marcus Flores. Um, a bit of an interesting one. This has come out in the, I don't in know the if back. this
2: has got lost in translation. This yeah, way.
1: he's vowed to stay in the A League, but has sort of said that um, he's challenging rival clubs to beat the beat Adelaide's best offer. Adelaide are uh, uh, rumored to have offered him a three-year. Uh, $330,000 a year marquee deal if he stays with the club. Um, Victory are one of the teams that are supposedly looking to swoop, um, having freed up a visa slot with the departure of uh, Marvin Angulo. Mm. What do we make to this?
2: Um, yeah, like I said, I'm not entirely sure if it's, it, you know... Because he's very articulate and he's clearly very bright. Um, and he's quite, quite... He's very respectful as well of the club and the league and, and everything about it. We... Um, heard him speak at the Johnny Warren Garland dinner recently yeah. um, and we, he, was, you know, he was excellent then um, so I'm not quite sure if it's as crass as it sounds where he's kind of throwing himself open, you know, whoever can get the most amount of money. Some of the comments in this story always makes me laugh about God, why are you being so tight, Adelaide? Just give him 700 grand. No, you give him 700 grand. Like, they have to realise that, you know, you, you can't just, that's the problem sometimes with football fans, it's such an emotional sport that you think that everyone who's got money should just be throwing money in your club, you know. If if they can't afford to pay him more than you know what they've offered him, then they, they then they can't. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I guess on the plus side, it seems like Marcus Flores will be staying in the A League, which looked in doubt at some mm. point. Um, if
2: he goes to victory, then what they got all Thompson and himself, player front three, useful. Yeah.
1: Uh, Alex Brosk uh, seems to be enjoying life in Japan.
2: Settled and, um, a bit, hasn't
1: he now? Yeah, said he want, he's you know, he's enjoying his time there, he's been scoring goals, wants to uh remain there. And is this good news for the Socceroos? He's obviously in the squad
2: yeah, this yeah. weekend. I, I think he'll always be a slight fringe player. I don't think he's you know, I can't see him starting at World Cups or anything like that, you know. He's twenty seven so he's sort of a, the next three, three and a half four years or whatever you are gonna be his best. Um, as long as he sort of keeps that pace I watched his goals that he scored recently and, and, and yeah it was a good finish at the back yeah. post and stuff so yeah like I say I, I think he's someone that could be
1: that, a J-League strike force for the Socceroos yeah. and, uh, with Josh Kennedy and Alex Brock
2: I mean there wouldn't be a bad front too it'd be interesting to see yeah
1: uh, another player looking to establish himself in different circumstances uh, is Reese Williams uh, he's been called up for the first time in almost 12 months uh, still only 22 yeah so, you know, it'd be interesting to see when he's 23, but he could still be an, an Ollie Roos player. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, obviously, they've still got the over players that they take. I mean Jade North went to the last yeah. Olympics as on the overage players. So great to see him back in contention. A uh, player that we we loved when he broke through. Versatile defender, can play full-back or, uh, or centre-back, and certainly that's an area where the Socceroos could do with some cover.
2: Yeah, I, I think it... You know, there's also a bit of talk about him if he could play right back and perhaps pushing Wilkshire up a little bit. Let Wilkshire get his yellow cards up that end of the pitch. Um, Centre back, I do everyone's as convinced about for Middlesbrough, I understand he's been playing mainly as that holding midfielder. But we love a holding midfielder in the Socceroos, so <laughs> it's always good to have another one in the squad. Yeah, and
1: uh, close to home, uh, the Matildas uh, went into camp yesterday on the Gold Coast uh, for their final camp before they head off to Germany. Uh, Lisa Devanna is set for a return to the national team setup, up uh, just a couple of weeks after she was uh, banished from the squad in Gosford uh, for a for failure to adhere to um, non-negotiable team expectations. Yeah
2: something, that, some, yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, called back in, loads of injuries to our strikers. Come back, Lisa. All, yeah, and unfortunately, all uh,
1: Sarah Walsh... Uh, who's on the cover of that mag, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, has had to withdraw from the World Cup. She's just not going to be ready in time. Uh, she's coming back from a knee injury, which is a shame because she's you know, very experienced and with Kate Gill out with an ACL, um, it's probably forced the I mean, Tom and, and Spencer to be a little bit more uh, flexible than they might otherwise have been with, with Devana yeah. um, because certainly they need, they need her now. Uh, so... Um, It'd be, it's good that she's back in the fold. So, Trev, let's stay with the Matilda's. Let's talk about the new issue. Yes. Uh, on sale yesterday. First time ever in 17 years and 26 countries uh, that 442 has put a women's team front and centre on the cover. Yeah, um, and
2: the feedback's been really, really positive so far. Flying off
1: the shelves, I've heard. Yes. Quite it's, literally.
2: Yeah, people fighting and, um, yeah, lots of emails from people saying what a, what a positive step. But, you know, as I said in my Ed's note, about this you know it, it's getting a little bit of publicity for a first but you know they are on the front on merit you know they, we bill them as you know Australia's best team they are um, you know they won the Asian Cup this could be the best crop of Matildas they've ever had and they go to the World Cup with a chance of winning it so they're completely deserving of, of their place and and you know it's good to see that our support for them seems to have been backed up with support out there as well
1: yeah well, it's a split cover on the newsstand, so you can choose which cover you want. You can either get the Matildas, or you can go the other major feature that's in that issue, which is the uh, 20 best players under 20, and also our uh, pick five Aussies.
2: Kieren uh, yeah, Bullett as well. Interview we chatted to him when he's back in the the misunderstood at times, I think, or, or at least young and deserves a second chance. So yeah. an interview of him about all of that stuff, and you know, obviously the playing side too. Uh, Jack Wilshere, Jack
1: Wilshere, yeah. and uh, Mario Balotelli. It's,
2: you know, Neymar. It's difficult to believe
1: that Mario is under twenty.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, he's so meek and retiring, yeah. isn't he? Just, <laughs> it's just like a Can young Imagine
1: like, Being that cocky as a nineteen-year-old.
2: Oh yeah, do, I mean, do you? Um, do, do you hear the story the,
1: about him recently with the school kid? Oh no, you, I hope that's not, not as bad as it no, 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 no. Basically, there was a kid at the Man City. Uh, at the training ground yeah. ask, went up to him and asked him for his autograph uh, after training and Mario yeah. Balotelli said why aren't you in school and he said I'm being bullied I, I'm going so he goes get in the car so Mario <laughs> Balotelli drives the kid back to his school asks to see the headmaster imagine that for call it's, it's little Johnny Smith here from 5C who wants to see the headmaster he's got Mario Balotelli with him and then Mario Balotelli goes and confronts the bully
2: no, that's
1: peacemaker. Yeah, so yeah, he's a very, very misunderstood guy. You know, it's, it, uh, but I mean, I just thought that was fantastic.
2: Yeah, well, why not? In the magazine, there is a, a timeline that runs along the bottom of his feature, kind of listing his mad moments. There's plenty of them, and they are absolutely mad as well, he's, what he's done so far.
1: But also, his story, you know, adopted by an Italian family, you know, it's worth reading into his background, yeah, and he, he goes into all of that, and, and where he's come from, and you sort of get a bit more of an insight into the character that he is. Uh, Rukovica?
2: Yeah, Rukovica in Berlin, surprising about um, how many titles he's won, or he picked up another title, he's picked up... Um,
1: to the Bundesliga next, Bundesliga
2: yeah. and stuff and, and yeah even, even though he's gone a little bit quiet um, under Holger you know Socceroos wise because he, he made the World Cup appeared at the World Cup um, then didn't play a part in the Asian Cup um, I think if he's going to be playing Bundesliga football next season he won't be ignored for very long so, I mean it was, I you mean, know, interesting to, to sort of catch out with him. He sort of divides people a little bit, doesn't he? He's got blistering pace, but then some people say that that's all he's got, yeah. um, which I think sells him a bit short. Yeah, um, and certainly but,
1: you look at his stats, and uh, he, he was an assist machine in Berlin's uh, yeah. promotion, and was a regular, pretty much permanent fixture in the starting lineup. So, and, you know, and he talks about how fantastic it was their last home game, playing in front of seventy, 000, eighty thousand people at the Olympic Stadium yeah. in Berlin. You know, it's. Uh, and you'd imagine that it will be playing in front of fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people every week in the Bundesliga, which can only be good for uh, for soccerers. Mm. All right, well, it's on sale now, so go and get it. And as, if you've got an iPad, if you're one of the uh, um, you can download the issue for free. We're making it free this month, so uh, get to the App Store, type in four four two. And you can get the Matilda's issue for free with loads more photo galleries of the girls. Videos. Uh, Curva skills videos, um, Cheryl Salisbury's career in pictures. Pictures,
2: yeah. Um, Matilda's videos and um, a video of the 31 nil, you know, a flashback from 1 HD on the 31 nil victory of American Smart.
1: Brilliant. So get into the newsagents or onto the App Store and pick up the latest issue. We'll be back in part four to discuss predominantly what's been going on in Zurich uh, over the last few days with the uh, FIFA elections or non-elections. So join us after the break.
0: The July issue of 442 Magazine is on sale now. This month you get to choose your cover between the Matildas or the 20 rising stars of world football, including interviews with Jack Wilshere and Neymar, plus a profile on the madness of Mario Balotelli. Elsewhere we name the top five Aussie teen sensations with Kerem Bullitt and Matt Ryan interviews. We're in Berlin with Nikita Rukovica, plus the 30 maddest refereeing moments. If it's in the game, it's in 442. On sale now. The latest on the world game. This is Four Four Two Insider. Hello, welcome back to the final part of this week's Four Four Two Insider
1: podcast. Now we are going to turn our attention to the uh, FIFA presidential elections, which were concluded yesterday with the only candidate, Seth Blatter, re-elected for a fourth term with the, the, the best candidate votes out of uh, two hundred and three votes were cast. Um, Seventeen. Uh, was spoiled or ab- abstentions? Um, it did not. The abstention didn't count against as votes against Blatter. Yep.
2: Good. But with
1: only one name on the voting paper and a photo <laughs> of just Sepp's name on there, it was impossible <laughs> to register a protest.
2: Seems um, fair. It seems
1: fair. I mean, if you looked at this as a non-footballing outsider, yeah. you go, "Okay, so someone finally challenges the president." a week before the elections that challenger is embroiled in a in a <laughs> corruption and bribery sting uh, he's then suspended for a month yeah just long enough to take him out of action
2: yeah
1: uh, to allow the president to be elected unopposed with no other candidate yeah if this was a country <laughs> We'd like um, we'd be sending troops over.
2: Yeah, we would. Yeah, exactly. I loved um, Henry Winter as I see a former four four two columnist. Did you see his comment about Seth Blatter? He said that Seth Blatter is the the black box of the football world, as in he'll survive anything, <laughs> no, no matter what. Um, yeah, and, and, and remember you saying after the bid that there's almost sort of a, you know, aside from being angry, like we are angry about the situation, you're saying there's a bit that you almost have to respect the ludicrousy of how this guy has assumed his position for so long. Hopefully, in 30 years' time, we'll look back and go, Do you remember when Seth Blatter <laughs> monopolised football for that long? So, another four years. Well, you know, I mean, th- th- you know, it's
1: good to see the English FA, uh, if not the Australian FFA. Um, did at least try and stand against this? You know, they called for FA chairman David Bernstein called upon the associations to 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 vote to postpone the elections because of what happened. Um, obviously, to allow the ethics committee's hearing against the uh, against Binnerman and Jack Warner to be heard, and and then obviously give the potential for somebody else to stand against Blatter. And that was, that was voted down uh, prior to this by 172 votes to 17 not to pr- postpone the election. Mm. Uh, that then precipitated uh, two or three people, most notably uh, Julio Grandona from uh, Argentina. Absolutely savaging England yep. in the forum. It's unbelievable.
2: Yeah, the, some of them, I mean... Talk about politically incorrect comments about the Falkland oh, Islands. And in,
1: a, in an interview with a German press agency yesterday, Grandana called England pirates <laughs> and said, with the English 2018 World Cup bid, I said, let us be brief. If you give back the Falkland Islands, which belong to us, you will get my vote. They then became sad and left. Yeah, that seems so fair one, though. <laughs> and remind on. me that FIFA and politics and football aren't supposed to be you know, part of the FIFA mandate. Yeah. Um, so certainly you'd say that England have pretty much ostracised themselves from from FIFA um, yeah, I mean what do they have to lose well nothing really
2: you know the, the way they're being treated already um, you may as well just just go out on a,
1: out on a limb yeah so we've had uh, you know David Cameron uh, has come out Prime Minister and back to the FA in terms of abstaining from the vote Prince William as well uh, but as things stand right now it appears to be business as usual um, the Change FIFA movement uh, has been active, you know, and has been trying to to get associations and politicians. Uh, as, you know, Mark Abib has been pretty much silent on this. Uh, Nick Xenophon has come out and, and has made contact with, uh, I think it's Colin in the UK. Um, I, I don't think this is the end of it. I think there is there are still too many people with with um, you know access to grind and, and issues to resolve, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know where do we where do we go from here, Trev? I
2: think we saying it before after the bid that, that the English media, you know, are openly out for FIFA, and I don't think they're going to stop knocking on that door to find out more about what they're doing. But it doesn't seem to make a lot of difference, does it? Even right. when you find hard evidence of what these people are doing, it doesn't make too much difference.
1: And the English media, understandably, are now sort of you know talking to the, uh, after being sort of you know the English FA when they were bidding for the World Cup. Basically, wrote to every sort of member federation and, and chastised the English media and said they don't speak. To us now,
2: unpatriotic, wasn't it? Yeah, it they is. now
1: want the English media's support, and uh, it's all a little bit too little, too late. You think, but um, but certainly the, the big question now, I guess, uh, closer to home, is who did the FFA vote for? Did we vote? Did we abstain? Um, whether they'll reveal that, I don't know.
2: No, um, they don't have to do so. We should ask the
1: question, though.
2: We'll ask, yeah. Um, I I don't know. I I think that Australia are probably realistic about where their place is within FIFA and where their current standing is. And I think the challenge before we even consider bidding for another World Cup is that we need to be more involved. We need to be more in FIFA circles rather than just showing up and, you know, going, oh, hi, can we have a World Cup? Um, So I I think that we'll probably play on the side of FIFA for as long as we can. You know, the English FA is in a slightly different situation in terms of, you know, standing. You know, they're, they're behind the biggest and best league in the world um, and historically massive sort of depth in football. So that's a little bit different to Australia being able to come out and sort of, you know, make any waves.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, what hasn't been uh, really discussed yet is whether the, the allegations against Bin Hamam um, will yet, sort of call into question the 2022 decision um, they've been very careful to, to separate the two um, and obviously there's the email from Jerome Valk uh, regarding Qatar buying the World Cup which he's explained away as the fact that they just spent so much money uh, yeah. you know lobbying all the people which I, I suppose is a convenient get out but I think we all you know, it's not difficult to uh, to see what he meant by that um, so we we still don't know where 2022 stands. Uh, I guess in the coming weeks, Sepp with his uh, mandate to clean up FIFA and be more transparent. Well, let's see, let's see what he does.
2: Some incredible videos, though. If you want to search FIFA videos recently from Jack Warner's interviews, Blah, having the argument with a German journalist. If anyone hasn't watched that yet, do it. It's incredible. These are the people running the biggest sport in the world.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, just a couple of other. Uh, News stories from uh, from the UK and Europe. Gerard Houllier uh, has left as Villa manager. Um, the backdrop of this was obviously his uh, his ongoing heart condition, um, and he's had medical advice that has shown that um, he won't be able to to continue. It seems a little bit of a you know it seemed that Houllier was was angling to come back, but Villa seemed to have closed the door on that. Uh, he's going to receive a, a nice healthy five million pound payoff.
0: Supposedly. Yeah, right,
1: not bad for nine months work. No,
2: not 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 bad at all. Um, how do you feel about him? He's still
1: I, I I sort of feel like um I could see what he was trying to do. Um I think he probably tried to do it too much too soon. Um I think whoever took charge of Villa last season with O'Neill leaving five days before the start of it and the squad that he inherited was gonna have a tough job, but he ended up finishing ninth, um, fair enough. I think the key appointment is now. You know who we bring in, what sort of coach is it? Um, McAllister, Gary McAllister's remaining at the moment as an interim. Uh, although I mean the, the players aren't really there. Yeah. <laughs> What's it. he what doing? He's probably his most effective. <laughs> um, but the the odds are on Mark Hughes is is the favourite. Um, there was talk of uh, Hughes taking over after O'Neill, but I don't think that was sorted quick enough, and he ended up going to Fulham. Uh, David Moyes has been linked uh, obviously you know his situation at Everton and financial situation has been been there nine years has he taken Everton as far as he can maybe he'd look at Villa as having the potential not saying that Villa is a bigger club than Everton but more money, probably got more money um, other names uh, that have been thrown around would be Ancelotti and Wilkins uh, Ancelotti said that he wants to stay in England and you'd probably say outside the top five mm. Probably can, the biggest job available.
2: Can I interest you in Avram Grant? No, absolutely do you not. I hear that Chelsea are not as a coach, but here hear they're interested in giving him some kind of director of football, some kind of high-paid high role doing something uh, else.
1: Steve McLaren is the, uh, is the other
2: name that's been linked. You uh, Now, you were saying you wouldn't mind him.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't <laughs>
1: mind. I always like people that have got something to prove, and I think his first job back in England, he would have a lot to prove, and I think, you know, Capello's not exactly made the best, mm. you know, a, a fantastic job of the England job. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I'll see, It'd be interesting just to see whether he'd adopt a Brummie accent first oh, press conference.
2: what i hope so. All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, why Steve McLaren. Mm. The amount of people that refer to him as Steve McLaren with an L that drops the C. Look, search Twitter. You'll get more, more of that name coming up than anything else. Uh,
1: what else? Uh, Michael Owen has signed oh, yeah. another one-year deal. With Man United
2: rewarded for his stellar season, um, yeah, obviously doesn't take up too many resources on the bench. Man, you probably need to regenerate of young players, but I guess still, oh, he's still only thirty-one, Owen. I mean, because he burst into the scene so young, it just feels like forever, isn't it? These.
1: Yeah, and there was obviously big talk from the Champions League final with uh, with Dimitar Berbatov left completely out the squad. There were mixed rumours as to whether he then walked out. Um, he certainly wasn't. didn't appear to be at Wembley, uh, although he did join up with the team uh, on the Monday for the, the, trophy. For the trophy parade yeah. around Manchester. Um, so whether a, he'll be there next year, well, we see Newcastle are rumoured to be potentially interested.
2: Manchester United players that kick up a fuss rarely play don't another a game long, for Manchester they? United. That's, yeah. that's normally the... The end of them, T- taking a massive hit. weren't they talking about seven and a half million they might get for him, um, which would be a, a pretty disastrous loss.
1: Yeah, and it's bizarre that you were you talking about the top scorer in the English Premier yeah. League last year, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, not, I, I, not being secure his club.
2: I, I saw a few Tottenham fans going, "I'll throw it out there. I'd have Berbatov back." You'd have the league's top scorer back at your club. How <laughs> how out there of you? Uh,
1: we talked we touched on this briefly. Uh, Paul Paul has announced his retirement. Uh, he's been offered a coaching position and will move into a coaching position with the club. Um, he'd be granted a testimonial. Now, I know we talked about Gary Neville's testimonial and that was on the play. I was thinking about it, like the whole testimonial thing used to, used to, be. to be from a day when players Left football no richer than you know, well-paid executives. It's retirement game,
2: wasn't it? Yeah, it was friend, like
1: uh, easy money to go and buy your pub. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That's generally what it was. Why are they? Why are they still have testimonials now when these guys uh, have got so much money they don't know what to do with by the time they've spent ten years at a club?
2: Yeah,
1: You know, I'd like to think, and I'm going to do some digging on this. But they give I their would money like away, though, think don't they? That it now goes to charity. Yeah, or no, it does. Like does I'm,
2: I'm fairly convinced. Yeah, are you it, sure? I'm, 99.9% positive that the big players give their money away to charity
1: okay can we dig that up before yeah, next week that's, right, we'll that's, be back on that no, next week no but cost. just a quick uh, obviously skulls came through the, uh, the class of 92 made debut in 94 made 676 appearances won 10 Premier League titles uh, missed the 1999 Champions League final famously through suspension him and Roy Keane um, but he's been a, a fantastic servant to the club and as we, as we said you know with him and gigs, probably like one of the dying breed of people that will spend 16 or 17 years at the same club. Now,
2: yeah, yeah, it's, it's difficult to see. And it, he's a, a, a very unEnglish English player. You know, we touched on it earlier. Just the technique and the craft he had. Hates the
1: media. Doesn't like being in the spotlight. Right. Hates giving interviews.
2: Yeah, exactly. The Ginger Prince yeah. gone.
1: All right. Well, Sculzy. You might have played for Man United, but you're a cracker. We'll miss you. So uh, enjoy your retirement. And future boss?
2: Uh, I don't, do you know, I don't know because I've never interviewed him nor heard of anyone who has interviewed him. So I don't, I don't know what he's like as, as a person.
1: Yeah. Alright, well we'll wait and see Alright, that's all for this week's 442 Insider Podcast uh, We'll be back next week uh, to talk about, we've got to hopefully get Spencer Pryor in Yes. Uh, to talk about the Matildas just before he heads off to Germany so we'll, uh, we'll follow up with more news direct from the Matildas camp after their, uh, after their camp this week on the Gold Coast, so join us next week
0: 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services